Welcome, welcome, welcome to Bold Statements, Not So Bold Predictions, where we've got receipts. I'm your host, Keith Cork, along with my brother from another mother and co-host, Trey Hill. And for the first time ever on our podcast, or any podcast, I believe, my brother from the same mother, Brandon Cork. How you doing, Brandon, man? You doing all right? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, excited to do this. Excited to join you guys. Heard a couple of your podcasts. Enjoy what you guys are doing. And just kind of excited to talk sports with you. Yeah, man. My brother, uh, you know, my brother and I, we go back and forth about sports quite a bit, especially basketball. We both watch the NBA pretty religiously, I'd say. We both uh, have some differing opinions on some other people. He's a, I remember he was a big Hawks guy last season and I wasn't. So he he might have won that one. I don't, I don't know. We didn't put any bets down. But, uh, but anyways, anyways, guys, if you guys are new to us on BSPP, we start with 100 creds. And we place wagers on NBA game outcomes, player props, futures, and much, much more. Uh, real quick, Brandon, let me spot you 100 creds. Ding, 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 ding. Because you'll be playing along with us. And uh, while you're playing, everyone look out because we might have the air horn coming in. Because any of us knuckleheads here can call BS on anyone else. And uh, when that happens, we come up with a gentleman's bet on the spot. You can view all of our open bets, guys, by visiting us on Twitter at, at BSBP underscore NBA at BSBP underscore NBA and clicking on the spreadsheet link spreadsheet. Wow. Linked in our profile. <laughs> Sorry for that slip up. A little Freudian slip there. Anyways, all three of us are starting at the starting level of 100 creds because guess what, guys? Nothing has happened yet. Ben Simmons hasn't even been traded yet. Uh, so sad face. No, nothing's really happened. We're all just starting exactly uh, where we were before. But I'm going to start. Uh, our show here, we're going to start with our first segment called Better's Remorse, and this is a segment where we recap our BS bets and everything like that. So, uh, Brandon, I actually gave you a few minutes here before we started to look over our uh, spreadsheet of bets that we have open here, and I want to ask you, man, is there anything you saw on that sheet, my side or Trey's side, that you want to jump on with us and, and place a bet on, anything you feel strongly about? Uh, yeah, I like the... OP, uh, OPJ getting under 35. Under? Oh, and I okay. Yeah. All of a sudden. <laughs> uh, he, he likes to get hurt a lot, and uh, I just don't trust him. I just haven't trusted him for years now. So that's when I was seeing. I like Jalen Green running uh, Rookie of the Year. Um, I think the guy's just going to be a stud, and there's not much there otherwise than that. So what are they really going to so, do? So do, do you like him to score more than 20 points a game at least? Uh yes. All right. Do you like it enough to put a put a bet on it? I would put a bet on it. Yeah, hundred percent. All right. How about both? I th- are you going to do one for rookie of the year, and are you going to taking Keith's side, and then will you take my side that he's going to score more than twenty points a game? Uh yeah. That's it. Looks like that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Good. No, no tie. There will be no ties on this Jalen Green debate between us three. Then somebody's going to win. Yeah, I think Brandon's got the best side of that because if he does win Rookie of the Year, he better freaking score at least 20 points per game on that Rockets team, man. So, uh, yeah, you caught me. The funny thing is he caught me at the wrong time because we were talking about something and then we we're talking about something else. And he got me on two sides of this thing. But at the same time, man, it's all good. It's all good. I'm going to end up winning one of those. So not a problem. Um, but cool, man. Anything anything else you liked on there? Uh be honest with you, I only had five minutes to look it over, so uh, I uh, I saw those three and I went with it. So yeah, that's yeah. what I'm going with, and uh, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. 
Hey, that's fair enough, man. Uh, cool. So we're going to go ahead and mark you down there. I think you um, you had said you had OPJ under 35 games played, Jalen Green, Rookie of the Year, and Jalen Green over 20 points per game. So I'll, I'll mark you down in our spreadsheet here, and you'll have some open bets with us. And, uh, you know, we'll see how, they, see how they go out. I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see how all of our guests do as far as these uh, bets go. But, um, yeah, some interesting stuff going on there. Uh, we actually, you know, since we last talked, Trey, we've had a lot of news going on in the NBA world. Uh, which we haven't quite had a chance to cover. So I wanted to go over some of that today. So we are going to talk a little bit about the news, and we're going to lead off here with some John Wall action. John Wall has informed the the, the uh, Rockets that he will not be playing with them, uh, which actually is going to help probably Jalen Green get those over 20 points per game. So another another good call there. But anyways, uh, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about John Wall? Is it, um, I mean, is he going to end up on another team? Is he not going to play this season? What, how does this get resolved amicably for everybody involved? I I just keep coming back to the buyout. I his salary is so high it's going to be really hard to, to match one. I can't come up with a trade in my head that I I particularly like. And he's owed not 90 plus million over the next 2 years. Even if you get him to take a small cut, even if it's like 80 million or 85, if the Rockets ownership is in such dire straits as rumors have it, Saving ten million is saving ten million. Yeah, um, I definitely I agree, I agree with you there. I think the buyout's possible. I just don't I don't see there's just so much so much money for him to leave on the table this season that's left on his contract. I just don't see it happening this season. I think if there's going to be a buyout, it's more likely to happen next season. But I mean, at the end of the day, that might be the only option that's open to him. Um, so he might have to take a real wash with that money. Um, but that's going to really require him to believe that his body is still able to do what he could do before the injuries. And that, and as we saw with the numbers last season, that's just not the case. Uh, you know, his effective field goal percentage was terrible. He couldn't couldn't score the 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 ball as much as you know as efficiently as he used to. Um, assists were down. I mean, everything was just down across the board. And uh, you know, he looked fast still. There, there's no doubt about it. With the eye test, you can say he still looks fast, but. Uh, he's just not the same player. Do you agree or, or do you think that he's still – I mean, do you think that – here's a good question. Do you think he's a role player now, a starter, or above-average starter, or an all-star? Where, where does he fall in those buckets for you? I, first off, Brandon, did you, ha- did you have an opinion on where Wall might go? Or are you on the buyout um, destination too? To be honest with you, I think he is going to move. I think LA is going to take a chance, the Clippers, and I think that owners looking for a point guard, and I think that's where he's going to end up. I don't think it's going to be a buyout because I don't really think you're going to be able. Who who comes? Okay, so if the Clippers do trade for him, who comes back in that trade then? Who are they getting rid of? Right, that's the problem I kept coming. I kept coming into. Because I'm looking right now, they've got um, – and John Wall is making, what, uh, like 30-something million. I mean, obviously, they've got Paul George and Kawhi. They're not, they're not going anywhere. They've got Bledsoe. Um, does – you know, does do the Rockets want Bledsoe? I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they can – maybe they can attach a pick and in, in something in, – and in another contract here and get that working for them. I just don't – because they'd have to maybe include Kennard. I don't know. Kennard's only 25. You'd have to you have to give the Rockets something that they're looking for. Um, or include a third team that 
might be able to eat some salary. The, there there are ways that they could they could find a way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to what kind of player he is, I think he's a starter on a pseudo contender. Mm-hmm. Or really, I think his best role is a backup, that six-man role at this stage of his career. Because you're right, he didn't score as effectively last year, but that was also because he was the one running the entire show in Houston. If you gave him an offensive role that didn't require him to have the ball in his hands creating so much, he did shoot over 40%. He shot 41% on on corner threes. He shot 38% on catch and shoot threes. So he has the ability to stretch the floor in an offense. He's not a negative when it comes to spacing. It's just I I think you're right in that his best athletic days are behind him, and he's just not. I don't think he's a top tier starter on a title team anymore. Here, you know, here's what here's what I think. I think that if they want to trade him and he wants to get traded, I just I don't understand why he won't play. Because in my opinion, if you want to get traded and you've had injuries and you have all these question marks about you, you know, um, the best thing to do is get out there and play every single game for a 20, 30 game stretch and show people that you're not going to sit. Cause he sat a lot of games. He only played 40 games last season. And so I just, I don't get, I think it's a bad choice for him to sit these games. What do you guys think? Brian, what do you think, man? I just think, I don't know how you can, keep that guy there when they are both agreed upon moving on from each other, correct? Um, I don't really know how much you can ask for as an organization for a guy who's only played 40 games for the past two years. Um, I don't... I just think it all comes down to his medical, right? It comes down to what type of role he wants to be on a, on what team, right? And to me right now, all options look towards the Clippers. Um, I feel like they have to make a big move because of everything that's happened in L.A. with the Lakers and all that stuff for this past couple of years. And I think the owner's going to go for it. I think it's going to be maybe a couple picks. This is what Houston might be looking for. Um, yeah, I mean, they're I, have to say. I think it's I think you're right. It's it, to me, it shows that he's. Not to switch sports, but in the NFL, when the Packers drafted Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre was like, it's not my job to mentor Aaron Rodgers. I feel like that's what John Wall, that's kind of John Wall's mentality, because they have all these young guards that they want to prioritize with Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. And all this other young talent that they want to get out there and get reps. And everyone's talked about John, his uh, medical history. He wa- he wants to play 40 games this this regular season, but he wants to play them for whatever team he ends up on. He doesn't want to play 20 games for the for the Rockets and then get to his new team, play 20 games, and then you know end up getting shut down until the playoffs or whatever the case may be. Well, I feel like I think I think he knows he's only got you know 40 to 60 games in him each year, and he's just trying to save as many of them as he can. Yeah, it's a, it's a tricky situation, man. I just don't I don't know how it's going to end up, but uh, we've got an even trickier situation up in Minnesota with the Timberwolves. Gerson Rosas, which was I believe the president of basketball operations up there, was his title. Uh, fired, fired. Um, obviously, he was having some uh, supposedly some inappropriate relationships with uh, with other employees. 
Uh, and there's there's rumblings that he wasn't going for a Ben Simmons trade. That's a it's a rumor that's still pretty strongly out there um, because the new um, uh, president actually of operations that just took over today, they he announced that um, he was going to be looking very strongly at a Ben Simmons trade and, and trying everything he can do to get Ben Simmons into Minnesota. So um, what do you think? Was Ben Simmons part of that? part of that whole issue or, or, uh, or was it not? Or, um, I mean, wh- where does that all play into this? After the news came out that he was caught, um, having, I, he was having relations with someone who, I, I don't know if, I don't remember if they worked for the team or if they, I think it was someone that reported on the team is what it was. That, that just seemed to be the last straw for the team, but everything else I've seen was with the new ownership coming in, they had heard that, the the uh culture was toxic that it it just wasn't it wasn't a good positive environment and so it sounds like i don't know so much that the ben simmons thing was the catalyst for it. i i think he was just kind of a scummy human being and they wanted to not have him around i i and you chuckle but i mean like i really think that's what it was like what that he was in the building that morning. They find out about him kissing because he, he kissed the girl like at a soccer game over the weekend on like TV and it came out. Mm-hmm. So like they find out about this and then he's just immediately uh, axed. Like that doesn't say Ben Simmons to me. That says we've had enough of this guy's shit. Yeah, I it really reads more like that to me in that situation. Also, I think it's just um, more so that. Um, yeah, the, just the toxic culture is what they quoted in there. And um, and I think that's really more so having to do with it than any Ben Simmons trade. I think that might have been a small part of it, maybe. Because um, Sachin Gupta is, Gupta is actually the guy that took over uh, for Grison Rosas. And he's the one that's saying that, you know, I'm going to go for Ben Simmons. And, and it's just it's, it is kind of strange that that's like kind of the first public statement he makes about the situation is that, oh, I'm going for Ben Simmons now um, instead of like, oh, hey, I'm going to, you know, develop and cultivate a inclusive and appropriate culture within the Wolves organization. And maybe he did say something like that. But, do do uh, you think that's because they want us talking about his Ben Simmons comments mm. and not talking about, you know, what the reason he's there in the first place? Uh, it, it's a fair, it's a fair point. Brandon, what are your thoughts on this, on this whole thing, man? Do you have any thoughts on the uh, Timberwolves? I just feel bad for that organization right now, man. They just can't catch a break. Um, I, I pretty much agree with Trey. I don't think it has anything to do with Ben Simmons. I just think the guy made his bed and now he's got to lay in it. So, um, I, I, Minnesota, I think they're on the upswing though. I do. I do think they are, they're at least coming back around finally. I bet big on them this year. Yeah. So did I, we're both on the over on their uh, wins. I think they have a pretty decent team. Uh, you know, with, with Carl Anthony Towns and Malik Beasley and Delangelo Russell, I think that they're they're pretty talented. Um, so I'm hoping they have a good season on the court. I hope that helps erase some of the stuff off the court. But it's a it's an unfortunate stuff. And speaking of off the court, though, we do have somebody that we have to talk about. We haven't uh, really discussed him since we started this pod, but he's been a huge part of basketball for the last few years, at least. Let's talk a little bit about Mr. Rich Paul, the agent. Um, clutch, you know, clutch sports and, and Rich Paul and LeBron James—they seem to to kind of run everything in the NBA now, and uh, seem to accumulate all this talent for whoever LeBron plays for. And I know that people have very strong opinions on on, on different sides of this of this discussion. 
on whether or not Rich Paul and what he does for the sport is a good thing or a bad thing. Because let me give you my hot take, which isn't it's not necessarily a hot take or, or maybe not even necessarily a bold statement. But the way I see it is that Rich Paul does a pretty good job at his at what he is, is hired to do. He advocates for his. Now, obviously, we have to talk about Nerlens Noel in a little bit. We'll get into that. Uh, and that's that's obviously uh, allegedly a lapse, a lapse in this whole thing. But for the most part, he gets his clients what they want. They, why wasn't why wouldn't a player want to play with LeBron? Um, I mean, how do you feel about about how Rich Paul and, and sports agents in general fit into the uh, landscape of the NBA nowadays? I mean, we've had who was it before? David Falk was the big agent, the big name before him. Um, you had Scott Boris. You've got Drew Rosenhaus and other sports. We've always traditionally had powerful sports agents coming in, and I love what Rich Paul's been able to do. Because it's not like they just play with LeBron. He has been able to get people there that wanted to be there. But like John Wall's one of his clients. Ben Simmons, Draymond Green, um, Lonzo Ball, uh, Eric Bledsoe, Gary Trent Jr., DeJounte Murray. Like they're not all these guys went to play for the Lakers. And uh, again, other than the Noel situation, which we'll talk about, he's been able to come through time after time for his clients. And I... I think it's a testament to his his ability to know the league and to know the leverage that the players do have. Yeah, um, yeah, it's definitely true. I mean, I think it. I've said this a million times. I'll say it a million times more. If you people say, you know, we got to get Rich Paul out of the game. That's that's why I hear constantly from people. Get Rich Paul out of the game. I don't like what he does. Um, you know, he's pulling supposedly going to pull Tyrese Maxey from from uh, uh, charity events because he's ticked off about the Ben Simmons situation. Uh, I, th- I thought that came out to be false, because I I, okay. I I went hard on that. I, yeah. I was on Twitter for a good day. Yeah. Wrote, like, really going in on that, because that, that, was, that was a big neg- – that would have been a big stain to me. Yeah, and no one likes that. And, of course, I don't support that at all. Um, but at the same time, my whole thing was, if Tyrese Maxey doesn't want to do that, he can fire the agent. And I know that it's kind of like a – it's almost like um, it, it's it's a situation where you can say, well, yeah, I can fire him, but at the same time, if I piss off Rich Paul, then I piss off, you know, LeBron James. I, I you know, I, I'm it's not going to put me in a good situation. So it's like, yeah, you can do that, but you can't really do that. Uh, and I get that argument also, but I think it, you know, especially when it comes to something like, uh, and this isn't true, but if if he was trying to keep Tyrese Maxey out of a charity event. And Maxi went along with it. I think you have to have some ownership over your own part in that, as far as far as a player goes. Um, so it's it's tricky. There are tricky things like that for sure. But for the most part, I think Rich Paul does a good job. But let's talk about Nerlens Noel, right? Nerlens Noel recently filed a lawsuit. He's claiming that you know against Clutch Sports, he's claiming that he lost 58 million dollars in salary between 2017 and 2020. Uh, obviously, he suffered that injury. He turned down that contract. He suffered the injury. Had to sign, I think, I believe, a minimum deal after that. So he just he just did not make anywhere near what he was going to make with his original deal in place. And he claims that it's because Rich Paul basically told him, "I'm gonna, I can get you more." Um, what do you think? Do you, do you think there's some veracity to that? I mean, obviously, we're gonna learn more in the coming weeks and months as this thing plays out in the courts and everything like that. But um, do you think there's any veracity to his claims? Well, I think I think that's almost a guarantee. But what the claim that I was really that really caught my eye was after New Orleans Noel went to other, uh, wasn't a client of Rich Paul anymore. He claimed he's claiming in court that other teams 
told him that they contacted Rich Paul about signing him, and Rich Paul mm-hmm. just w- didn't return the calls. Right. So if if you have an agent that's not returning calls when teams are trying to sign you, yeah, and then you in turn have to sign for the minimum, mm-hmm. that that clearly shows that he cost you money, in my opinion. So to me, the fifty eight million might be a little much, but that it's an easy number to point to in court, and you know they could always settle down. I. To me, that's the that's the big that's the big question. Was Rich Paul just like overstretched at this point in time? Because that was kind of right when his big expansion was happening, and mm-hmm. then he just forget to get back to these teams about Nerlens Noel. Like what what happened here? Why? That's those are my questions, and that's what I look forward to finding out. Hopefully, eventually. Yeah, and I don't mean to be a company man or to take the side of of the evil agent here. But I've been I've been involved and in, in worked in really high stress, high, high volume you know, businesses before and things do fall through the cracks. So um, is it possible that, you know, an offer sheet came in or some communication came in that didn't necessarily get communicated to the right people and didn't necessarily get back to Nerland so well? I think it's totally possible that that happened in an innocent way. Um, and it's also possible that Rich Paul, you know, got these offers and, and didn't give it to him. I don't understand I'm not, from my side, I don't understand what his, uh, you know, incentive to do that would be necessarily. I, right. I don't. I don't think there was incentive to do it. I think you're right. It was just a, a mistake. And mis- like you mm-hmm. said, mistakes happen no matter what business you're in, and it's a very costly mistake to make. Mm-hmm. And it's one he, he might end up having to pay for. But I, like that's that's just kind of how I feel about the situation. Uh, Brandon, do you have any thoughts on it, or is he? I saw I saw you look around. I didn't know if he was still around or if he'd wandered <laughs> off. No, he's here. No, I'm here. I'm listening. Um, I just, what would be the penalty for doing that? Right? We have to really go down this lawsuit route because I I see where you guys are saying where things will fall through the cracks at big companies and high volume, high stressful um, situations. But this guy told him, hey. I'll take you on. I'll take care of you. But he's not returning phone calls to people. So where do you really go with that? Like, is it a lawsuit? Is it a, does the company owe him money? I, I like to think that Rich Paul would, they would settle out of court in theory, like bring, bring it for the 58 and then just, go to like and assuming it was a mistake just go to Nerland's no and be like look man I, I fucked up I'm yeah. sorry how about how about 25 million yeah I think um I think it will end up with a, a settlement I think that even if um Rich Paul is totally innocent here and can prove his innocence I think it's something where they don't want to pay the legal fees um to fight this I think they'll they'll settle I mean it's got not going to be 200 million dollars um, he'll probably get millions, I would think, because um, at this point, Rich Paul makes a ton of money. Did I say 200? I meant 20. Oh, yeah. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, whatever the case is. Yeah, I meant gonna... like settle lower, like a third. Like he's asking for 58, maybe get 20 oh, 50, out of yeah. it. Yeah, sorry. I, I, I said the wrong number, too. 58 was, was the original number. Um, I don't know why I said 200 million. But anyways, I don't think he's going to get that much, but I think he will get something in the millions and it will be a settlement um, just because it's easier on everybody. And at this point, I mean – there is some culpability that you have if you're Rich Paul and you did tell this guy. And I think it's pretty – I think we can all envision this and see the incentive here where he's telling him uh, – supposedly I think this was at Ben Simmons' party actually – that, hey, I can get you more money. Um, just sign with me. And if that is the case, then he does have some culpability here, and I think he needs to to own up to that. But, um, but anyways, let's – we're going to move on here. We also have one more piece of news here. The ESPN 
has been dropping their rankings throughout the last week or so. Uh, it might have been the last two weeks. But anyways, they've dropped their rankings of the top 100 players. And we've been uh, looking at these a little bit. Um, Brandon, did you get a chance to look at this uh, a little bit on your own or um, not not a whole lot? Not a whole lot. Okay, <laughs> that's okay. Uh, Trey, did you get a chance to kind of dig into this a little bit? And there, were there any that really surprised you? I glanced at them. I've I've never been a real big fan of the of the rankings. I liked the top three being, oh hey, I got to see his pretty face. Oh, I liked <laughs> the top three being um, Kevin Durant, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and LeBron. After that, I think Luca was a little high. I thought Dame Lillard was a little high. I thought I think James Harden's better than him. Bradley Beal and Zach Levine aren't nearly close enough for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's all, it's all preference really at this point, but no, yeah. that, there wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot that stood that stood out to me as super like egregious. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it's, it's a very subjective thing. And I think, um, you know, we'll talk about that a little bit more as this, as this pod goes on and we get a little older and we get to talk to some more, uh, really exciting guests. But, uh, anyways, no, there, uh, so how do we feel guys about Luka Doncic being rated over Steph Curry? Trey, what do you what are your thoughts? I disagree. Yeah. I just I I love Luca. He's I've been I've been on the Luca train for a long time. Uh, on the other on the other pod I do from time to time. Uh, we were doing it during that draft and I, I bought all in then. I've I love Luca. He's not Steph Curry. Steph Curry the the gravity that that man has on a basketball mm. court is just it's unlike anything I've ever seen and it's I think I think it's I somehow Steph Curry is still underrated yeah just just for all the listeners out there Luca was uh was at number four in ESPN's rankings and Steph Curry's at number five and yeah I did I think I think for me Luca Doncic is slowly becoming the most overrated player in the NBA what do you think about that Brandon do you think what about what do you think about Doncic over Steph Curry uh, you guys are probably going to hate me, but I disagree with you guys. I think Luca is definitely a top four player. He's a six, six, seven, six, eight point guard in the league, where that's the way it's going. Um, I think the guy literally is the only player on his team that puts his team over that. That bar, you know what I'm trying to say? Um, well, yeah, but here's the thing. Here, okay, so yes, I think um, he's a very good player. I think he might be me. There you go. Um, he's a very good player, but what have they done yet? I mean, have they, you know, they can't, they blew that lead with the, the Clippers without even having Kawhi against them. Um, you know, it, you, there's some very, I think, very justified knocks on Luka's game. He has, he's a very ball dominant guy. He's a very usage heavy guy. Um, and I think that he's suffering from that. I think he needs that second. Play. And that's not necessarily his fault. I don't, I'm not saying that's his fault. He needs a better roster around him. I think that everyone in the NBA, everyone that covers the NBA agrees with this. But Part of it um, could be projection, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steph Curry is going to be 34 in March. Luke is 22 years old. And I, he got drafted. And then the, between the, the COVID seasons and the shortened seasons, he hasn't had, you know, training camps and lots of practices to – to you know get extra comfortable to learn all of the little things i so i don't i don't hate the idea that saying i think luke is going to be better than steph this year i think he makes that jump i just 
it's hard to look at what they've done thus far and to put Luca ahead of him. Yeah, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. I, I think I'm gonna if I would give one more season of Steph being over Luca, I think Luca. Um, I mean, definitely a couple seasons from now, he's going to be better than Steph. I mean, Steph's just going to get too old. Um, at the end of their careers, who's going to who's going to have more championships, Luka Doncic or Steph Curry? What do you think? I think Curry. I think Curry I, too. I would have said. Uh, I really want to say Luca just because he's so young, and he's he's just he's extremely talented, but. I don't know. I just I haven't liked. I don't. I don't like what they're doing in Dallas. I don't like like I don't like what they're building in Dallas around Luca. And I just I think I think he just comes up short. I think he wins one. I don't think he retires without a ring. I think Luca's going to be good enough to get a ring, but I don't think he wins more than Steph. Do you think he gets a ring, Brandon? I think Luca gets a ring, but I don't think he's going to get with Dallas. I, I totally agree with you. I oh, that's a good. That's a good. There. That's a good call. I like that little. I like that little caveat. <laughs> what What about you? Uh, so, which one's older? Is Is Keith the older brother? Yeah. Okay. So, old man Keith. What about <laughs> you? Old man Keith. Um. Yeah. Uh, oof. Man, that's a tough question. I think I think Luca probably will win a championship. I don't. I think he's gonna have to mature. I think he's gonna have to get a little older and have to accept the fact that. He can't. He just can't do it all, you know. He, you know, I'm, I and I was really cheering for him because I, I love watching the guy. He's electric to watch at times, um, but at times you can just tell he's he'd he be doing too much, man. And I can't, you know. There's no way around that, you know. He just he, sometimes he makes bad plays because he either simply it depends on what your perception is. Either he has a, a not a good team around him, or he's just got that mentality that you know. And that's not a bad mentality to have because Jordan had it too and Kobe had it. You know, I'm just gonna put my head down and, and go harder than the rest of these guys and, and win. So right, uh, since the, he's got the, the mentality. defensive rules have, have changed since yeah. in those days. I, I think the problem is Luca doesn't see another talented playmaker on Dallas. He has mm. lots of good shooters. He has lots of great players to compliment him, but mm. when he gives the ball up, he's not giving it to somebody else who is, who is creating for others. So once he gives the ball up, it might not be like stopping it's not he's it's not like going straight to a ball stopper, but it's going away from a creator. And I think you're right. He needs to learn that that's okay. You can you can have offense without a creator if you have if you run quality sets. Yeah. But to me, if Luca's going to reach his potential, he's going to get a secondary playmaker beside him that that can help take off some of that pressure. Yeah, and, uh, and you know, I'm kind of excited to see what Jason Kidd does with uh, with Luca, man. I think, um, you know, I think there's a lot of tricky things uh, with that hiring, which we can get a, get into a, in a later podcast. Don't really want to get to them right now. Um, you know, I treat you women with respect to everybody, but at the same time, um, I, I do like that pairing of of him on a basketball court with Jason Kidd. I think that's somebody that did mature as they got older. Uh, and really learned how to how to work with their teammates, and he's got a very different skill set than what Luca had, uh, in my opinion. So um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens there with Carlisle out and Jason Kidd in. Do you think they'll be better or worse? Do you think it's going to affect them at all on the court? I I think they'll be a little bit better, probably on the court. I don't know if the I don't know if the wins and losses will necessarily be better because I think the, I think the West and the league in general is pretty stacked, but. 
I think when you watch them play, I think the flow will be better. I think the morale will be up. And I think those things really matter when the season's as long as it is. And considering that COVID looks like it'll still be a thing, the season's going to have that extra stress on top of it once again. And if you if you don't dislike coming to work, that that can get you through a lot of really crappy days. All right, let's talk, let's talk about one more here. They've got Bradley Beal on their rankings as number 11 and Zach Levine as number 33, a whole 22 spots below Bradley Beal. What do you, what, Brandon, I'm going to go to you first, man. What do you think about this? Uh, is Bradley Beal 22 spots above Zach Levine on your list, on your rankings, if you were to make them? Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> um, the guy, Zach Levine is an all-star. He's a top 20 player in the league. Um, he's young. He's got upside, high ceiling. I, I don't get that one at all. It yeah, seems that's... like they really respect Bradley Beal's previous accomplishments in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And, and I, like that's what, kind of what I took away from it. Uh, Zach getting COVID last year and not getting to play with Vooch and things not working out after that trade, I think that kind of hurt his perception nationally a little bit, even though like if you go look at the shooting numbers he put up, he had one of the greatest shooting seasons anyone's ever had not named Steph Curry. Mm-hmm. But... I think Bradley Beal, I don't even know that I'd call him a better player, but I, I understand that he has more more street cred on the national scale just because he's been in the playoffs, but I don't agree with it. I think it's, like I said, when you asked me first off, I that was one of my pet peeves about the list. Zach should be a lot higher on the list, and I think mm-hmm. I think Beal's closer to like 15. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, I think there is a little bit of a but, but you know, you could say because I said the same thing about Luca. I said, well, what's he done in the playoffs? So um, I think there is a little bit of that with Zach Levine. I think having Beal higher than Zach Levine is totally justified. Um, I just think that this drastic gap between the two is just kind of crazy to me. Um, but I think a lot of people are going to wake up about Zach Levine, man. I think uh, we can talk a little bit, a bit of Bulls because I know my brother here is a big Bulls fan. Also, we watch every single Bulls game. I uh, used to watch them together, obviously. Uh, but yeah, man, uh, I think that I think we're having a little bit of a, a issue here with um, Zach Levine not having been to the postseason, and that's really hurting him. Um, but I think this year people are going to wake up, man. What do, what do you guys think? You think he's going to move up this list next season? Oh, yeah, yeah. Brandon, go ahead. Go ahead, Brandon. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, the Bulls are the Bulls organization overall has done. The most they can do up to this point um, with Zach. Obviously, I think they're building around Zach, and I think that's why they're going after all these pieces, and that's really going to benefit his game because it's going to bring competition into practice. It's going to bring better morale there because change is happening. And how do you not see a guy who went from All Star and not see him improve this year when? He has better pieces around him. We, I brought it up with Luca. He, I said Luca needs other playmakers around to kind of alleviate that pressure. That's what Zach needed. His his usage was so high on offense, he wasn't able to put in the the same effort on defense like he was in the Olympics. But you add Lonzo Ball, you add Vooch, who, like I said earlier, they didn't get to play a whole lot together. And Caruso's a pretty good playmaker. DeRozan's an excellent playmaker. 
you add these guys in, and it's only going to give him better looks. I, I think Zach's <clears throat> going to end up being pro- close to the top 20 on this list next year. That's a bold statement, but I can't call BS on it, man. I think I think we're probably gonna. Oh, go I with tried them. to bait you. I tried to bait you there. Yeah. I, want, I wanted you to be rooting against Zach Levine all year, and I just uh, wanted to have that one to hold over you, but you didn't bite. I can't do that, man. I good good bait. I uh, can't take the bait on that one. Uh, I, I kind of I tend to agree with you. I don't know if he'll be top twenty, maybe top twenty five, but I think he'll move up for sure. So, um, but anyways, let's let's head over, guys, to our interview with Andrew Patton. We got a chance to talk to this guy. I'm really excited, man. Uh, you know, he developed the application for Darko projections and we were just so excited to get a chance to talk about him and just pick his brain, get his thoughts on advanced stats and a few projections for the upcoming season, which can, you know, uh, hopefully help us determine this list that ESPN put together. Maybe hopefully build a better list. I'm thinking I got something in the works, but we'll, we'll have some more about that guys. Uh, but before we get you to that guys, guess what? It's fantasy season and I'm going to beat you, Brandon. (laughs) You know what that means? Yeah, yeah. You know what that means? It means that right now is the perfect time to get out there and win your league by getting the Hoopball Fantasy Pass. Guys, for just $5.99 a month, you can get access to the best fantasy experts in the business and the Brewski 150, which is going to get you the edge in all of your fantasy drafts, no matter what your, uh, you know, whatever your format is, whatever you guys got going on, 9-cat, 8-cat, if it's a points league, if it's a... Uh, categories head-to-head league while the train goes by and tells me shut up uh, 5.99 a month you can get access to all that guys just visit hoopball.com that's hoop-ball.com and hey guys let them know that keith and trey sent you so without further ado guys here's that interview with mr andrew Patrick. all right we are excited to welcome on to bold statements not so bold predictions Mr. Andrew Patton. <laughs> Andrew is the developer of the application for Darko, that is Daily Adjusted and Regressed Kalman Optimized Projections uh, Projections there. And uh, we are so excited to talk to you, man. We have a lot of exciting stuff here. We feel like, you know, our goal on this show and, and your goal with Darko uh, kind of co- you know, go together really well because we're trying to project future outcomes. And obviously that's what Darko does. So well, we're excited to have you on the show, man. And I uh, hope you're excited to talk to us as well. <laughs> yeah, my pleasure to be here. So uh, first off, you know, tell us a little bit about your history with uh, Kostya Medvedovsky. And, you know, how did you guys get this project together? And, and what was your goal when you guys started out? So he started this quite a bit um, before I was involved. Essentially, they, he um, pr- prior to my involvement, he had the model and some of the projections done. Um and then my involvement became after I saw that he was using essentially a janky Google Sheets to do this. Um, that in general, you know, I was like, hey, we could make this easily, more easily accessible, more easily understood, more easily shareable just by essentially creating a website that is dedicated for the purpose as opposed to just having a, you know, essentially a repurposed Google Sheets. Um, and after that, it just kind of took off more than, um, you know, as we started working on that together. Obviously things were added, things were uh, new functionality, new features. So it's been, um, uh, it's been close to two years now, um, I think. Uh, but again, he, he's the, the coder and developer of the actual model. Um, I help out with bits and pieces of ideas and all that, but uh, it, just to be clear, he's the one who uh, created the, created the masterpiece. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, obviously you have a big hand in it also. But um, so Darko, is, is it more useful for, for someone playing DFS, season long fantasy? 
Um, which, you know, who, what's your target audience there for this application? So (laughs) the answer, I mean, if you use the projections literally, which are essentially Darkrow does, what are you going to do tomorrow Mm -hmm. or next game, but essentially tomorrow, that's the, that is the base projections. Like if you go to the player projections page and you see, you know, Giannis, for example, you pull that up and you see what the, you know, what his, his DPM and ODPM and, you know, field goal percentage, that is essentially if he had to play a game tomorrow. So what it's not saying is you're going to play all year like this. We're not saying you're going to play like this next year. It's saying tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, so, may- and- so maybe something like uh, single game player props. Yeah, I mean, essentially what this what it is not doing is saying that, you know, we think because this team is bad, Giannis is going to score 45 points. It is a measure of essentially the skill of a player. Mm-hmm. Essentially, that's it's an oversimplification, but essentially is the the actual talent of a player. Um, for example, if if you know to start a season, um, you know, uh, you know, Andre Drummond hits five of ten threes. He is for the season fifty percent from three, but we don't actually think he is a his talent level is a fifty percent three point shooter. Mm-hmm. Likewise, if Steph goes zero for five in his first game. We don't actually think he's a zero percent three-point shooter. So what Darko does in general, and again, this is a, a uh, of course a generalization, is it, it, it essentially says what your actual ability is, agnostic of what you of the specific box scores you put up today or yesterday or things like that. So um, for so, a gambling perspective, in that mm-hmm. sense, uh, DFS is how it was benchmarked, and it does beat a lot of DFS projections. Mm-hmm. Um, so. D- it, it uh, will have the DFS tab up this season, but essentially that is the the least effort uh, approach for gaming um, is to use it for DFS stuff. So it's not something where you can use Darko necessarily to say, you know, uh, Michael Porter Jr. is going to take a big jump in year three of his career. Um, but you might be able to use it to say Michael Porter Jr. was a 45 percent three point shooter last season. Um, and we expect him to be close to that mark in this specific game. Is that, is that a correct assumption there? Well, yes and no, in the sense that, right, if we we can pull up uh, Michael Ford Jr. here, and we can see that, like, because there's a progression, right? It's not We're not taking each data point in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we can do is say that, you know, over the course of his career, he's had a pretty upward trend in his three-point percentage shooting and he's stabilized right around 40 percent which is if you look at the app you can see that mm-hmm. and what, what we're not saying is that he's made four out of ten three-point attempts you know in the last few games it also might not mean his career average might be lower than that it might be higher than that because darko takes into account every other variable every other offensive and defensive indicator to produce this estimate. So you'll see guys in college in particular, we don't, it's not, we don't use college data, but here's just an example. The guy who shoots, you know, 90% from the free throw line, but it's only like a 33% three point shooter. Like that's a good indicator that there's actually some underlying shooting talent. Um, And what Darko does is does that for every single stat, taking into account all the stats at the same time. So what we're not saying is that, with Michael Porter Jr., the only thing we're predicting is tomorrow. We're saying that he's expect. We believe his current seal level 
as a three-point shooter is about 40%. Mm -hmm. So it is reasonable to assume that he will start the season at around that skill level. Okay. Um, perfect. And can you give us any specific instance where Darko gave you kind of like a, a head-scratching result and you were like, what? This doesn't make any sense. And, and it turned out to be right. So it's important that what it's not doing is, right, because there are very many, there are only so many offensive like box score components you can have. It's not creating these wild projections. Like it's not saying that Ben Simmons actually, you know, is going to be a 42% three-point shooter because mm -hmm. it, of underlying things. It, it essentially provides a more precise estimate. But if a, there's nobody who's a 30% three-point shooter by counting stats, that's projected to be a 45% three-point shooter. You know, the, the projections are not um, are, are not that inaccurate. Um, if you look at, for example, um, you know, I think it's important to note that some of these projections, uh, for example, like Steph, he's projected to be a 40.5% talent shooter, but he actually might be higher than that because a model is not going to want to predict a crazy, crazy high value that is unsustainable, even if Steph might actually be that good because nobody's that good except for him, right? So there are these instances where um, extreme outlier players, because that's mm -hmm. kind of how models work, right? You're, you're in, yeah. in DPM in particular, because it's a, um, you know, these plus minus SPMs do this, that um, may have results like that. But I think that in general, the best part of Darko, one of the best parts is that it doesn't have a lot of head scratching results because when you see what goes into the projections, like if you see what projections look like, you can kind of go row by row and be like, you know, this makes sense why this might be the case. Um, and I think that's also part of the reason that uh, people like like it and respect it is that there are very few values you look at and you go, no, that can't be right. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, it really um, does sound perfect for the, the DFS, like you were saying. Yeah, I mean, people do use it for DFS. We did have a DFS optimizer on the uh, on the app uh, pre-COVID season, but mm -hmm. that kind of fell off during COVID for a variety of reasons. Okay. Um, but that will that will be uh, back in some capacity um, this season. Okay. So to help us out, because obviously on, on on BSBP, what we try to do is we try to predict future outcomes, um, and a lot of times we're digging into you know box scores and, and last 10 games and you know we're not using anywhere near the data set that Darko's using but is there a way that we can apply the logic that Darko's using to you know make our own bets stronger you said something about um you know the free throw percentage and their, their field goal percentage being you know helping you give a better picture of if this guy's true talent um, from shooting is is a certain level so is there some kind of logic there that we can use to make our you know prop bets and, and, and stuff like that a little bit more accurate yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, if you are, the first thing that what, what Darko values is whether something is sustainable or not. Um, if you look at a lot of the curve, um, like the, if you go into the app and click on one of the players on the front page there, you know, like, you know, let's click on Dame or whoever, you can see that there's a, there's an undulating pattern to their projections. And that's because what that happens is Darko says, oh, you're doing well, so I think you're going to get a little better. And then eventually you can't reach up to that. So it comes back down and you get kind of an equilibrium where it goes a little high, a little low. And that sustainability is is what Darko cares about, because it doesn't actually you're not going to keep going up forever. 
and most guys aren't going to keep going down forever, although that does happen at the end of careers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so essentially the important part is that if you're making a prop bet, thinking about is this like, you know, is this a sustainable trend that I'm trying to hop on or is it something that by nature will kind of correct itself back down to the, uh, you know, to the mean or the or kind of the projection level? Because, again, you know, if we look at, you know, whether it's DPM or field goal percentage or three, four percentage, there is a cyclical nature. These progression goes up and down and up and down as the model corrects and overcorrects and undercorrects. Mm-hmm. And so as a as a game player or better there's this understanding of making sure you're not, you either got to be certain you're catching it on the upswing or the downswing or understanding that it's going to be somewhere. There's, there's variance contained within that, within that blob. And if like, and if you are going to place a wager, the more confident you are about something, the more confident you should be that it is above or below kind of the normal day-to-day weekly variance. Yeah. Or, or alternatively it's inside of it. Like, if the over if you're picking Giannis over 15 points in a game like that of course because the vast bulk of over 15 is going to be in his kind of sustainability window mm. but if you're saying Giannis over 50 because he's had two 50 point games in a row n- no that's not a sustainable <laughs> outcome even if he's like he's that good where he could do three point three fifty point games in a row and it wouldn't be like you know it would be crazy but it wouldn't be like astronomically impossible but you know, we have to understand that, understand, uh, understand like the sustainability of an event, the ability for it to be an actual representation of their ability versus just variance in, in, in how things happen with good teams and bad teams. And, you know, as the NBA says, to make or miss league, sometimes it goes in, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, right. And that's perfect because actually you talked about Giannis <clears throat> at the end of last season in the postseason, I was actually betting his PRA, his points, rebounds and assists, his, his total points for that or uh, stats for that, I should say. And I was betting the under because they were just so astronomically high compared to what he was doing in the regular season in, in similar game environments against a similar important opponent. But he, he ended, I ended up losing money on those because he ended up beating them. I mean, because it, I think it was because it was the postseason, because at that point you, you get more usage into your, your main guys. So does, you know, does Darko really, um, I, I know that Darko does take into account, you know, different adjustments like game environments like i think it says on the website that it, it changed with the you know the way that the game changed over the years darko productions also changed with those you know more of a focus on three-pointers or something like that um so do you have anything that uh, you have to adjust manually because you just you just plain know it's wrong or, or because something's you know changed changed so drastically like um you know can it can it account for something like going from the from the regular season to the postseason so sort of there's no manual adjustments anywhere in this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um the hardest part of projections of any model is minutes because um, in general, that's the thing that's most at the coach's discretion or game situation, right? Um, you know, you can have, you know, you can bet points and know that the guy's going to score 28 points and, you know, maybe he scores 25 points in three quarters and then sits the entire fourth quarter because they're up by a million. Yeah. So if you don't, so minutes are tricky for a variety of reasons. You know, there's obviously scheduled rest and guys get hurt and things like that. So um, if you look on the playoff projections, kind of team projections tab, we have a section that like allows you to kind of pick what minutes you want, whether there's like full healthy, you know, maximum playoff rotation minutes or kind of a regular season projection minutes. Right. So we do kind of allow 
we understand that the minutes in particular, Giannis is a perfect example because Bud doesn't play him that much mm-hmm. comparatively to somebody like, um, you know, like Dame or whatever, or, or, you know, Jokic, for example. So when Giannis in the playoffs for once plays 42 minutes, it's likely he's going to produce a lot mm-hmm. just because he, he, you know, he normally in the playoffs only play, you know, he could play sub 30 minutes sometimes, right? Which is unusual for a mega premium guy. So yeah. minutes are the biggest thing that are um, a challenge to to understand because that is so much at the whim of the coach and the game situation. So it was a bad bet, Andrew. You can you can just come out and say that, okay? It's okay. No, no. I, mean, I, think that, <laughs> I think that with if he's him, not going to say it, I will. Oh yeah, yeah. Like you that's okay. Because <laughs> there's there's usage and efficiency, and those aren't always. And there's often a trade-off. Yeah. And the more you play, the more usage you get. It's not necessarily that you're going to keep producing but as long as you keep producing at some level even if it's sub efficient you're still going to count your counting stats are going to go up yeah so we have to pay close attention to minutes that's that's a good that's a good good rule of thumb i think that's awesome um so how do people get access to darko projections where i mean i know there's a there's an app online what do you have an app on the phone how how do people access this information darko.app that's it everything is there darko.app okay you guys heard it here and uh, now I, I just want to ask you a little bit, uh, Andrew, about just some general stats. And, and, you know, we've seen a boom recently in uh, all-in-one advanced metrics in the NBA. Can we, I mean, obviously every st- every statistic really tells a story, but, you know, how much can we trust this stuff? I mean, what are the limitations of these stats and where should we be wary of them? So it, if we go in with the assumption that these stats were created done correctly, which I think is fair, um, there was an article that was tweeted recently by um, uh, Hoops Hype, I believe, that had uh, like the 10 best and most trusted metrics. It was by Brian Kalbrowski. Um, I think that is a good starting point for anybody who wants to learn more about what they are and what they do. It's important to note that almost every uh, all-in-one metric, which is pretty much what those all are, is different from Darko. Mm-hmm. Darko projects the individual components. Mm-hmm. The other ones use what has already happened to create an estimate, like a single value metric to go forwards, right? So there's a fundamental difference between Darko and how a lot of those work. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't make one better than the other. I do think Darko is the best. <laughs> um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> it's, just, it's just that, like, for example, using um, like what goes into, like I know the guys who build LeBron, um, Tim and Krishna, and um, what goes into that is quite different than what goes into Darko. Um, and the the like and LeBron, for example, does not project how many blocks per hundred a player is going to have. It is an estimate of a single value metric, like DPM is for Darko. So, in general, you'll find that the best ones, uh, LeBron, EPM. Um, and Darko, Darko's DPM, generally speaking, the point of those is not to show you who the best player is. It's very explicitly not a ranking or an estimate of how good a player is. Essentially, it's impact, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the more famous original like public sphere ones that, that recently went away is was PIPM, is player impact plus minus. It's literally impact in the title. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was Jacob Goldstein, who's now with the Wizards, who uh, took that down. Um, okay. But essentially, it's important to note that these aren't a ranking. It's not. It's not a list mm-hmm. of player, the player with the highest 
LeBron or EPM or DPM is the best, followed by the second player is the second best. Mm-hmm. Um, they're measures of of impact. And okay. um, as much as we can try and contextualize things and craft these uh, appropriately, um, there's, a, there's a limit to what that can tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, we do validate these by looking at trying to essentially beat Vegas, right? And right. beat and predict wins. And ultimately, if you can predict wins successfully with a, a plus minus metric, it's pretty good at, mm-hmm. at that. But it isn't super useful for a metric to tell you that Nikola Jokic is highly impactful, right? Mm-hmm. That doesn't tell you a lot of information that you might not otherwise know. Mm-hmm. So, again, how you would use these as a team or as a fan or as a gambler are going to be different, but it is important to note that, again, they're not rankings of players, and they're not how good or not good someone is. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did find that article on Hoops Hype by Brian, and I'll make sure to uh, have that included in the episode description. So for any listeners that want to find that article, we'll have it super easy to track down. Yeah, yeah that was pretty much the best article on plus minus metrics written that I can remember because mm-hmm. it did a really good job of kind of grab covering a wide range, including some that weren't plus minus metrics. Um, but, but in general, I thought that was really, really well done. And yeah. again, like the advantage that Darko has, unlike the other ones, is that it's, it's, it's daily. It's daily. Mm-hmm. It's projecting tomorrow to the next game. So there's the ability to see the progression over time over someone's career that um, with more granularity than, than some of the other ones. But again, um, if you're going to use them as a consumer, you could mm-hmm. use them as just kind of for fun to look and see and play around and, you know, look how someone's three-point shooting is going or their blocks or rebounds or whatever. Um, or you can build your own, like, season simulation game win probability models mm-hmm. um, and, you know, try, <laughs> try and predict wins and totals and things like that. Um, based on plus minus metrics, um, but how teams use them is is uh, they don't use a lot of single value plus minus values that are created in house with the better data. Gotcha. Um, and, and the reason that I, you know, we were kind of chatting about that before this interview. Um, the reason I brought that up about the ranking players is because it, it just what makes me tear my my hair out of my head is hearing this, you know, top 75 of 75 years list. And really the process for finding that has nothing to do. People are throwing statistics out, I'm sure. You know, this guy averaged 20 points per game. This guy, you know, got this many rebounds per game, what have you. But they're not, there's no objective way for us to really rank players. It, it's just, it's just like, you know, it's a subjective thing. We have to get a committee of people in that we trust. We trust their opinions. And then we have them, you know, we give them a list of players. And then we have them basically argue until we come to, a list of, of players to, you know, a, you know, one, two, three, four, five, all the way to 75. Uh, and there's no real way to verify, you know, is that correct? Or is that, and, and, and it's a convoluted conversation. I mean, do we really need to verify who the top 75 players of all time were? I don't know. It's not necessarily something that's super important to anybody, but is that something, I mean, is there a, a way to use statistics to come up with a, a list like that? Or is that, is that just a bad idea? I, I think that's, unless you are going in with the intention that it's kind of a lighthearted, fun, like somewhat silly exercise, but to do that with like serious intents is going to be not, not a good idea for a variety of reasons. Um, essentially within the same era, like currently you could have guys with similar um, plus minus SPM values that 
are valued differently by teams and organizations, right? If your team is in free agency, you don't just go down the Darko list and say, what's the highest player with DPM that we can sign as a free agent? Because there's instances of fit and role and how the player performs with those things and how they their game slots into you know, slots into the game of the players around us and the contract situation and then all this other stuff. So they're quantifying like goodness is mm-hmm. tricky. Um, for the best way I've seen done that is um, Seth Partnow at the athletic does a tiers article, Okay. a player tiers article that is uh, oh, myself and a bunch of other kind of colleagues are, are used as the, like the, the crowd, the crowdsources from us kind of our personal rankings, which can be based on anything we want. And so it's a mishmash of stats and scouting and just general thoughts. And it ends up being essentially an informed crowdsourced of that. And I think that's really the only reasonable way to get at a list of that. But again, it, it isn't super, if we're doing this as a fun exercise, trying to debate if Kareem was better than LeBron or whatever, like, that's fine, go nuts. Not my thing. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and I don't think you'll be able to, use advanced stats effectively to do anything in that case are you a michael um, jordan guy or a lebron guy come clean <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I believe michael jordan was a greater basketball player i think lebron is a better basketball player okay um Diplomatic. i'm right there with you Thank, I'm, so, good, I'm good with that yeah um and but again that's i don't hold that opinion very tightly no. by any means no. but essentially <laughs> the quantifying how good a player is 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 a, is a loaded a loaded thing and i guarantee you that you know how teams do this from a, from a scouting and acquisition process isn't how good do we think this this guy is in a vacuum it's how good is this guy going to be with our team with our roster with the minutes available yeah so you did t- you did mention the athletic and I, you know let's talk about defense um i did see you know the interview you had in the athletic where you mentioned it's hard to really measure defense because defense is just usually the absence of something that really generates a statistics so um, you know, what stats can we rely on to determine if someone's a, a above average or below average defensive player? Uh, it, it's tough, right? So I think that the, you know, it's pretty easy on the two ends of the spectrum. It doesn't take a lot of energy or effort to see that like Rudy Gobert, Joel Embiid are very good defensive players. When they're in, the other teams don't score as much, right? I mean, it, it's not a particularly, likewise, on the other end, you see guys like Colin Sexton or, you know, a couple of years ago, Jamal Crawford, guys that like, you know, blow buys constantly, stuff like that, right? So there's on the two very, very, you know, ends of the spectrum, it's pretty easy to tell. And it's often easy to tell with centers and point guards in particular, because centers are, you know, rim defenders, right? So if they are, other team is getting, um, you know, they're getting layups, layups and things like that constantly. Um, that's pretty easy to tell. But I think that in general, the better all-in-ones, so your EPMs, your LeBron, your Darkos, are going to be good at broad strokes, mm-hmm. defensive impact. Um, whatever your per- the variance is for certainty for offensive uh, plus-minus metrics, it's double that for defense probably. Okay. Um, just because it's a little harder, just mental uncertainty. Um, and as That's well, what I was like, going to ask. About mental uncertainties? Oh, no, about how much like how much more certain he was, or you are, about offensive stats compared to defensive stats. But he, he just said about twice 
the variable the variance is about twice as much. Mm-hmm. That 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 isn't a a true numerical answer because I but the essentially we are as a community less confident that the plus minus or SPM values or wrap them or whatnot for defense will be accurate to truth and mm-hmm. truth we can't come to yet. Obviously that's the thing we're trying to get at. Um, I will say that um, in-house defensive metrics, um, when you've access to second spectrum data or tracking data or old sports use stuff or, you know, with college things, when I worked at Stats Perform with auto stats, it, it is easier because there's information that you don't have access to in the public space that can help you understand absence a little more. Um, I will say that one of my own metrics called RAD or RAD, mm-hmm. uh, regularized adjusted deterrence, which is a, is a spin on uh, RAPM, which essentially looks at how often instead of like RAPM, which is like does someone score on your possession, is, is there a shot at the rim at your possession? And it's a way to evaluate often centers and players because those are the easiest shots. And mm-hmm. over time, if you give up a lot of rim attempts, even if they are contested, those are that's bad. Mm. <laughs> um, but in general, quantitatively measuring defense is tricky, especially for the guys kind of in the middle or guys who are off ball. Right. I get, Again, yeah. if you watch Kawhi or Ben Simmons on ball, you don't need a ton of information. You know that that looks miserable and that player is not producing or is more turnovers or less efficient, right? That's not, that's easy to measure because you just look, mm-hmm. but it's the guys who are off ball. It's your, you know, it's your, um, it's your players who aren't exclusively at the point of attack or at the rim that it's often the most challenging for. Yeah. And, and let me ask you, uh, this is a personal question for me, actually, it's something I've been going back and forth with some people on Twitter. I don't think blocks should be seen as equal to steals. Uh, they're they're just not they're not they're often you know lumped in together um, as kind of the same kind of metric, and they're really not because a steal always leads to a change in possession, whereas a block doesn't. That's my main and and some, no one can really refute that for me. So, um, what do you think about that? I mean, do you think that a, a steal is more valuable than a block, or do you think that they're about the same value? Um, I mean, I know it's kind of a Value is kind of a tricky word in this question, but uh, I, mean, I would say that you know, steal is obviously a change of possession, but a mm-hmm. block also means that a shot went up. Mm-hmm. A, you could, if you went to the counterfactual, the possession where the steal occurred, they may not have gotten a shot up at all. So there is, um, you know, in general, steals are often valuable because, if, especially if they're in the backcourt, they're often you know an easy two or a quick foul. Whereas a block can essentially just be a, you know, a, a involved rebound, right? You know, if you tip it or something or goes out of bounds or, you know, tip to your, to your uh, teammate or something. But I think that um, just with both of them, gambling on those is often bad, very, very yeah. bad. Um, right. And blocks especially um, for centers are often misleading because it means you're chasing a lot of shots. Mm-hmm. And it means guys are trying to shoot at you a lot. Um, you'll note that players don't attempt shots on Joel and Gobert that often because they don't think it's even worth doing. That's and that is, that's kind of what my, my rad metric is like. If you're a defensive, if you're a center, the best thing you can do is prevent attempts from happening. 
Mm-hmm. Um, because if guys are taking 20 shots a game at the rim while you're in there and you block five of them, that still means 15 shots are going to go hit the rim or something. Whereas if they only take five to begin with, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. So. No, that's a really good point. Cause yeah, you don't really think about that too much. Um, you just really see, especially if you're just a box score watcher, which I absolutely hate. I, I try to watch as many games as I can, but, um, but sometimes, I mean, let's be honest, we can't watch, you know, eight games a day or something like that. So um, sometimes I do have to rely on the box score and all you really see is the blocks at the end of the game, but you don't, that doesn't take into account when the offensive player just simply didn't go in and try to make a, a, a shot over that, that player because they, they could have blocked it. The potential of the block was there. Um, so that's a fair point. I'll have to think about that some more. Yeah, um, I mean, we, I'll add that the, the complexities of what's available and what has been done with, you know, full tracking data compared to what most people are aware of is, is absolutely gigantic. Mm-hmm. Um, like truly, truly gigantic. Um, and so there, it, there are, you know, ways to measure, for example, how a player bends the other team's defense or how the shot distribution like is similar or dissimilar with different players on the court and different players, you know, swapped in and out. So there are well, teams I assume and organizations can, are you can look at a shot chart and kind of get a, an idea of that, right? I mean, we obviously don't have access to all the data, but we yeah, could go back. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm, shot charts are are fancy, but not. I mean, they are aesthetically pleasing, but they don't actually tell you anything important okay. really at all. It's okay. how you generate how you generate the shots is often much more important than where the shots came from, okay. um, with certain exceptions. But I'm talking about uh, very comp- very computationally intensive approaches to determine some of these answer some of these questions you were talking about, like how how certain post players impact the shot distribution of the opposing team, or what happens when this guy forces a pass when the ball goes here. Do we does this player shut down passing lanes or things like that? So they're questions that Again, most people wouldn't even think to ask or know are possible because, again, they're not working with the data, but there are vastly, vastly large numbers of, uh, of questions that can be answered more effectively with uh, you know, proprietary tracking data. So you're telling me, me and my buddy Trey, just talking about this guy, if he's good or not. We're not. No, I'm just kidding. No, no there's, a lot I, of, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that we have out there. Um, I, go ahead. That, that was real. The. And he's right. There's a lot of things that people just would never think of. Like I would, I would have never thought about the tracking data. But like the, uh, how many passes do the opposing teams make when a certain player is on the court? How many of those passes are deflected when he's on? Like, there are there are so many ways that you can look at things with that sort of tracking data that most people just would never think of. Yeah, we're trying to go a step deeper, so we have to we have to go a step deeper to try to be Vegas because. Um, you know, there's, there's really, there's just gotta be room there to really take advantage. Um, but anyways, we're, we are going to try to attempt to cap games on this podcast, Andrew. Um, you know, what statistics would you closely, you know, look at closely to try to figure out which team is going to win a specific game? I mean, there's, I know we're talking a lot about kind of that stuff right now when we're talking about the fabric of the game and stuff. Um, you know, but what do, what do we as, as, as regular people have access to that we should be looking at when we try to say, say, you know, Hey, this team that's kind of an underdog might have a chance to win this game. Um, I would say that, uh, in general, mm-hmm. uh, Vegas is really, really good. Right. <laughs> um, I used to work making lines, building models to make lines for games projections. There's a reason that the house always wins. That's because they're calibrated properly. Um, also they have access to data and models you don't. Um, but in general, 
if you look at all the big um, publicly available metrics, uh, SPMs or whatnot, they often will do um, preseason win total projections. And there's often contests that like, what's your best win projection for these teams? Um, and they're often pretty close uh, for, but at this point, um, so much modeling and predictive work goes into the Vegas lines that on the whole, it's going to be difficult <laughs> yeah. slash impossible to beat yeah. them systemically yeah. unless you have, for whatever reason, like a genius level breakthrough in, in modeling. Mm-hmm. Or, but the way is minutes. Because minutes is a thing that is, in many places, still handwritten in mm-hmm. because it's difficult to project that really, really accurately. So if for whatever reason you have an inkling that player X is going to play fewer minutes than they usually do or player or the opposite, that would be something that that would be, you know, a, yeah. a way to to get in there. Like for, for whatever reason, if you think that, you know, if the, you know, if the Lakers are playing someone and you know that you don't think LeBron's going to play very much, but yeah. again, you have to think that in a way that Vegas doesn't already know that. Right. So yeah, you can't just say, oh, it's the back second of a back-to-back yeah. because Vegas knows that. <laughs> yeah, so, asymmetrical information is key. It's just, it's yeah, they have better models than we do, so it's it's hard, but we're going to try. <laughs> we, we have to surf Twitter for when we find out that an NBA player has been spotted out at 4 in the morning and he's yeah. got an early game the next day and just got to get in there before Vegas can adjust. And then you have to yeah. make that and, and then you have to make that value call, that judgment call, you know, it's like, does that really, is that really going to affect their game? Is that, you know. It's uh, it's not easy. It's not easy. Um, but I do want to talk to you a little bit, Andrew, about machine learning. Um, you know, machine learning, it's just going to become more and more prevalent in our society. You know, we, we can't. It's, it's just going to happen. Um, is the NBA, and I think I already know your answer just based on what we've been talking about already, but is the NBA just kind of, um, you know, implementing machine learning at the same pace as everyone else, or are they behind the times? It sounds like a lot of these teams just have machine learning models that that they use a lot. Is that Would that be a correct assumption? Uh, I mean, in many ways, yeah, because like Darko is a machine learning based approach and also depends on what your specific definition of ML is. Um, Darko is canonically a machine learning based approach with gradient boosting, um, optimization, stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there are absolutely teams that are building and using various either statistic, very, very complicated statistical models that are not things you can, <laughs> that are not things you can write on your own unless you've got like a math PhD mm-hmm. um, or, you know, deep learning, um, all sorts of your your standard, you know, grading, boosting, random forest stuff. I mean, it, it's not game changing in the sense that it magically does anything in many ways, but it is, you know, the models become more accurate over time and can handle large amounts of data. Um, you know, in many ways, like, identification of um, like tracking data itself lends itself to uh, deep learning because mm-hmm. it's a it's three-dimensional time series data um, so it's essentially four dimensions and that that works that is like video in many ways so it works well for that but again the like the build a fancier model is what are you modeling is more important like in the sense of then spending 200 man hours to get oh half a point percentage reduction in an error on something so mm-hmm. doing a better job 
understanding how players fit together and who to acquire in free agency or the draft is is no doubt impacted by you know, more advanced modeling techniques or not or just you know techniques but mm-hmm. it's the understanding of you know our goal here isn't to make another spm or another plus minus metric but it's to more accurately quantify how our team and ecosystem functions so players can succeed so you see a lot of stuff and you won't see this because it's internal but you'll see things that that aren't just duplicates that fancier duplicates of things that are in the public space and i wonder you know when it comes to ml i wonder how much pushback you get because in my experience in the sports world you know i listen to a lot of series exam nba just when i'm around the house cleaning or whatever and, you know, I've got, I'm hearing Eddie Johnson over on SiriusXM say, you know, oh, analytics, you know, they're not, these analytics, you know, eggheads are, are invading our space, basically, is what my my take of the situation is, right? So you get a lot of people that are ex-athletes that are in um, the NBA and in spaces and sports. Um, you know, I, I'm an ex-athlete, but from high school, like, I'm not, you know, a professional athlete, obviously. But um, it's always been my experience where you get kind of pushback about this stuff where it's like, well, you're just being an egghead and you're looking at the analytics is that something you still experience, you know, with Darko and with, with machine learning and, and with, you know, this statistic, statistical modeling? Well, I mean, if you take aside the people that are inherently hostile to any, any kind of quantitative approach, mm-hmm. it is your job as the purveyor of the statistic to meet the people in the middle and help them understand what you're doing and why. Um, if you, as an analytics person, regardless of industry, just dump out some numbers and say, I'm smart, fuck you, this is the truth, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't matter if you're right or not, people are going to hate you. Uh-huh. And so um, it, it's your responsibility as a as a analytics person, again, NBA, insurance, car sales, whatever, like to communicate the, what you're doing, why you're doing it, what's the point of this. Um, there are people, again, uh, like many radio hosts, that are explicitly hostile towards um, any sort of quantification mm-hmm. for clicks, <laughs> clicks right. and listens. Um, but I mean, there's a reason that there are analytics departments in every every healthcare company, every tech company. Like it works, right? There, you know. <laughs> We've been doing analytics for as long as numbers have been around. We just put a name to it for sports for some reason, right? Um, yeah. I mean, counting points and rebounds and calculating figure percentage at a certain point is quantifying things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a question of how you communicate it and ensuring that, you know, for example, when you work with pl- NBA players or professional athletes, you are not, like, you just got to know that, you're, that your job is to help them succeed. And it's not a situation where you need to say, no, I know more about basketball than you do. Right. For me, I know that is not true. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I, I don't. And, but I do yeah. know a lot about this one section of basketball. Mm-hmm. And so, again, it, it comes down to communication and treating people like they are people yeah. and not morons. And, you know, one of the things I like with Darko is that we try and have a pretty understandable um interface like there are simple it's clean bright colors points and lines something goes up is good something goes down is bad um even if you don't quite get what goes under the hood and 99 percent of people don't which is fine because it's incredibly complicated um you should still be able to use and enjoy what we create because 
you know, it, it, as far as things go, I think we do a good job of, of presenting, communicating it. Um, and that's always a challenge with things that are uh, involved like this is how do you how do you get people to engage with it and use it and believe it that might not. Um, and so we've we've really made an effort to make things easy and understandable and, um, you know, be yeah. available for questions. Yeah, you have to you have to be a, an ambassador of your product, and I, I think you you know I think you do a great job. So just to just to let you know there, but uh, Andrew, thank you so much, man. I um, we do have one more thing we want to do. Obviously, with BSBP, we like to um, make it a little fun and, and have a little little game here. So um, Mr. Trey and I did did cook up maybe four or five questions here, which we're going to kind of spitfire at you. Uh, you know, just kind of for fun. It's not necessarily something where you, you know, we're looking for you to use your, your Darko projections or anything like that. Uh, we're just going to ask you, you know, some basic questions here uh, and see what your opinions are. Is that cool? Sure. <laughs> All right. So uh, I'm going to start here. I've got actually uh, Terry Rozier shot 45% from the field last season as opposed to 41% for his career. Is he going to be able to match that 45% or is he going to go under uh, this season? From the field, you said? Yeah, from the field. Mm -hmm. uh, I am going to bet that it's under. Um, okay. I think it's unlikely based on his career. He's had, what, six years now in the league, something like that, that he's all of a mm -hmm. sudden going to pull a change totally his game. Um, obviously, if he takes more twos than threes, that would that would impact his from the floor, but his shot distribution um, probably wouldn't just become layups all of a sudden and in particular his three-point shooting uh declines rather precipitously at the end of last season so i think it's likely that uh, he just had kind of a, a hot streak for a reason although um if you know if uh if lamello keeps keeps it up um it's a passing who knows but i think that i think that uh rogier is probably going to be under that if i had to guess assuming okay. he doesn't just go to the rack all the time and make it Terry Rozier, under 45%. Perfect. All right, Trey, what do you got? Uh, Brandon Ingram, he had 4.9 assists last year. I think it, I think I'm pretty. it's pretty comfortable to say he's probably going to get to five a game with Lonzo leaving. But do you think he gets – do you think he's closer to five or six? Uh, I'm selling everything about the Pelicans this year, so under. <laughs> there you go. All right, so we got the under there. We're going to go five there. Um, DeMar DeRozan had 6.9 assists per game last season, the highest mark of his career by 0 0.7 assists. Can he match up now that he's on the Bulls, or is he going to go under? Under. Under. Under 6.9. A general rule of thumb is that when someone posts a career best, go under. <laughs> that's, Especially that's good... when they're at the end of their career, or not in the career, but nearing, nearing the decline point, certainly for DeRozan. Yeah. Um, and he's not really ever been a creator ever. Like his career arc isn't really that, um, so I, I'm, I think it's safe to say under. Okay, under for DeRozan there. What do you got there, Trey? I'll stick with the Bulls. Um, everybody's worried about their defense. Do you think they finish in the top 15 in like defensive rating this year? In team defensive rating? Yeah. Like points per 100? Uh, yeah. Top 15? Yeah. I they, think finished 12th, they finished 12th last year. Yeah, I think there's a chance um, as long as Williams stays healthy in place. And Levine has been better for sure. So I think there's a chance, although DeRozan is not good at that. So that might impact it um, yeah. on the negative side. The more minutes DeRozan plays, the less likely they are to reach that. Okay. Um, Michael Porter Jr., 44.5% from the three-point range last season. He's going to match that, or is he going to go under? Is he going to match a nearly 45% from three? He will go under. 
Okay. <laughs> uh, Darius Garland averaged 14.4 points per game last year. Does he get to 20 this year? Close, but I don't think so. Six points is a pretty big jump. Oh, no, it, it, no, it, it is 17.4. 17. Yeah. Oh, 17, so, sorry. Yeah, so it's only 2.6. Sorry, I misheard that. Um, yeah, I think that's probably pretty reasonable. I mean, uh, hopefully he gets more more and more usage and, you know, young guards get better quickly. Um, but they also sometimes stay bad forever. <laughs> but uh, there is a lot of growth, certainly, in young point guards, especially for him who played, what, like five college games? So there's a chance he, you know, he hasn't played that many games in his career, and the more he plays, the better he'll get, most likely. All right, we're buying those 20 points. And then um, Julius Randle, six assists per game last season. His next closest mark in his uh, career was 3.6 for a season. Does he match that six a game next season or no? That's a lot. Yeah. Um, I'm a fan of his, and as a fan of the – I have some friends on the Knicks analytics team, but uh, – <laughs> uh, Going over six for like a pseudo power forward is a lot. Mm-hmm. So I would say under, but I still think he's quite good. Okay, fair enough. Right, I've got one more. Um, Jaron Jackson Jr. in Memphis, he averaged 5.6 rebounds last time he was able to play. Can he get to seven with Valanciunas out and Steven Adams in? Uh, assuming he stays healthy, I think that's probably reasonable because I think Adams, um, I th- if I was them, I'd probably play triple J a little more just because I mean why not <laughs> what's, what's, what's why not and if he gets mm-hmm. a big minutes if he gets a big minutes upgrade it's going to happen no matter what just because he's tall mm-hmm. so the more you play and just kind of stand around you'll get some more rebounds so I think that seems that could be reasonable although with Memphis how many wheeling and dealing they're doing who knows uh yeah what the roster is gonna look like so yeah no kidding all right one last one here I've got six man of the year uh last year Jordan Clarkson Shot his lowest mark of his career last season at 42.5%. Is he going to shoot better this season from the field? If that's the lowest in his career, I think yes. I think he's likely to not repeat a career low. Yeah, I think I think I probably could have guessed your answer that one. <laughs> All right. All right, Andrew. Well, I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much for coming on with us. We really appreciate it. It was really interesting and really eye-opening. I think um, I actually have a few ideas now. Uh, about how we're going to uh, run some of these segments here. But uh, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate your time. Yep, my pleasure. Thanks, guys. Have a good weekend. You too. Bye. Bye. All right. And that was Andrew Patton of Darko Projections. Appreciate his time, man. What would you think, Trey? Good. He's really smart. And I was so quiet because I was just trying to soak all of that wisdom in. Because while he, well, he's right, when you – you know as much as like when you have these kinds of models, you you don't want to come out and be like, I'm smart. These are the answers. Fuck you. Mm-hmm. But he is smart and those are the answers. So he, he could do that in theory. But the fact that he took the time to hop on and to explain it as well as he did and mm-hmm. to put it in terms that not only did, is it easy for people like me and you to understand, but it's easy for us to applicate the data that he has in things that we might be able to use it for. It was it was just really cool to get to talk to him, and I really appreciated this time. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. And, uh, yeah, I had a great time, too, man. All right. We're going to continue to push the envelope here and challenge ourselves to get more and more accurate. 
If you want to see our open bets, go to our Twitter page, guys, and click on the Google Sheet. We have linked there. Many of these bets can be placed on MyBookie, which is really the best sports book around. Any sport, any bet you can dream up, you can do it there at MyBookie. And if you sign up and enter the promo code HOOPBALL, that's H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L, you get your first deposit matched halfway up to your first $1,000. So if you put in $1,000, guys, you get an extra $500. But that's going to be it for us today, guys. We are so, so happy. Thank you, Brandon, my brother Brandon. Thank you to Andrew Patton for coming on to us. If you liked our show, guys, hit the subscribe button. Leave us a review. And uh, I'm Keith Cork. You can find me on Twitter at, at BSBPKeith. And Trey, why don't you tell the good listeners where they can find you? I am also on Twitter at Final Finally. And don't forget to follow our Twitter account for the show at, at BSBP underscore NBA. Go out there, man. Use this knowledge and just kick ass.